0: topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitian's Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to episode 137 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today, we are talking all about the gut and really delving into leaky gut. Maybe this is like a leaky gut part two. (laughs) It's a topic request that I get all the time. And in some ways, I feel like I talk about the gut all the time as well. (laughs) So I guess I might make some assumptions on the foundational understanding of leaky gut. And I know I toss this term out a lot and I'm always talking about interventions to address gut lining health. So today I'll really be digging into what leaky gut is, why your intestinal lining and your gut integrity matters, and how you can prevent and address it if you are already at risk.
2: Yes, I think this is a great time for us to go back and do a little 101 on all things leaky gut. But yeah, I feel like we talk about it in some way, shape, or form in pretty much every single episode. Um, if wanting to go back to recent episodes in 131, we talked about SIBO and candida. And then in 87, we talked about the brain gut access and how stress and anxiety can drive leaky gut.
1: That's one of my favorite episodes. So definitely if you guys have missed that, that was recorded while I was working on, I believe, the repair chapter for the anti-anxiety diet and talking about repairing your gut lining and making that connection of how stress and anxiety can actually wear away at your gut integrity. So a really good, I know there's a lot of aha moments for a lot of listeners in episode 87, Brain Gut Access. And then we talk about gut, of course, with one of another listener favorite episode, Constipation and Perfecting Your Poop, (laughs) episode
2: 105. Yes. And then In Defense of Vegetables was another definite listener favorite. We're getting a lot of shares on that still. Um, That was 127. We talk about um, gut lining integrity as it relates to how well you can Tolerate certain vegetables and certain foods um, and the anti nutrients in those vegetables and, and plant based foods. And then, way, way, way back, I think it, you said it was 34, is that correct? Was I think the year? 24. 24. Episode okay,
1: 24. <laughs> I'll make sure I,
2: I link the real OG podcast um, in the show notes, but um, was the original, like, first episode on leaky gut specifically. So, yeah, definitely time for a refresher first. Right. Sure. I
1: think that was. Three and a half years ago. And you know what? I I think when I did put together today's show notes, we're covering all of those bases. So you could re-listen to that or today will be the refresh 101 and and we'll layer on, of course, always some fun new stuff. So I did get this request. Like I said, I often get it uh, as like a DM on Instagram, and I'll I'll link some of these as we just discussed top episodes. But uh, Kim Westwood specifically. <laughs> see if you ask enough, you might get a shout out on a future episode. Hey Kim. <laughs> Kim asked, <laughs> yeah. Hey Kim, this is all for you, lady. Uh, She said, would it be possible to have one episode all about gut health? I hear it through all the others, but I would like to reinforce just one with everything if possible. Love your work so, so, so much. Thank you. It has really changed the way I approach not only my life and health, but my business. So obviously with that kind compliment. I was open and receptive. So we kind of corresponded back and forth and this was her request and what we'll be really, I think, digging into in today's episode. So she said, so I've listened to almost all the episodes of the Naturally Nourished podcast in parentheses, some an embarrassing number of times, (laughs) but I still don't really understand where to start with the gut. I have now realized the importance of it, but I guess it's just the simple things like what is leaky gut? How do you know if you have it? What are symptoms of it? Does it come and go? what happens to the blood and the nutrients when you have it? How do you fix it? When you fix it, have you fixed it for a long time? Or will one slip up damage it again? And then she goes on to say, sorry, so many questions, yada, yada, and looking for a resource because... We are her go-to source, so I think we can do diligence and answer all of those questions in today's episode. Oh,
2: definitely, Kim, you could totally um, co-host this podcast for me. <laughs> so
0: yeah, we'll, you can just we'll ask kinda, the question. Yeah, we'll dig into those. <laughs> yeah, you
1: wrote uh,
2: Becky's script. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks, Kim. Copy uh, paste. <laughs> so we'll dig into that one at a time and hopefully address everything that Kim is looking for and more for all of our listeners, um, and make this a really good comprehensive resource for all things about the gut. So let's start off, Allie, with a little bit around why the gut matters in the first place.
1: Sure. So I think connecting the dots of the emphasis of gut goes back thousands of years. And we could think back in Hippocrates. So Hippocrates was famous for the statement, let food be thy medicine. But also another statement Hippocrates said was all disease begins in the gut. And as a functional medicine practitioner, when we're looking for the root causes of chronic conditions, often the gut is an anchor for a downstream effect throughout the body. We look at the gut as a driving influencing factor for autoimmune disease, we look at the gut of course as the first go to in all medical approach i'd say when we're dealing with digestive distress right so whether we're talking about ibs or inflammatory bowel conditions of course the gut is going to be the the root or the access point that we're going to be addressing but as i started to mention with autoimmune disease it can be so much more we know that there is a tissue within the gut called the GALT, the Gut-Associated Lymphatic Tissue. And this has a huge influencing role with our immune processes in our body. We also know that the gut is the space where we absorb nutrients from our diet. So based on the gut integrity and the playing field, if you will, the space and the ability for the gut lining to absorb nutrients into that gut blood barrier is going to play a big role with micronutrient deficiency trends, right? So that's super important because we know micronutrients play a role with every function of the human body. So that's pretty important. And then we also know that the gut can be playing a role in detoxification that is quite significant. And when we think of like dermatological concerns, we tend to think about How is the gut regulating bacteria? Is there yeast overgrowth? Is there dysbiosis, uh, which would be an imbalance in gut bacteria? Is there a pathogen? And that's creating the stagnation, which is not allowing that detoxification in the colon. And that's creating the buildup we're seeing through acne, like cystic acne or other dermatological concerns. And furthermore, we think of the gut connecting now as well in mental health. So there can be, and and that really ties into, as far as mental health, the enteric nervous system. So we call the gut the second brain of the body. And there's actually more neurons in our gut than there are in our central nervous system. Our brain and our spine combined have less neurons than there are active in our enteric nervous system or our GI tract. And we know that that GI tract is also where we manufacture a lot of our feel-good neurotransmitters, like over 90% of our serotonin a majority of the GABA is all produced in that gut area. So the gut plays a foundational space to regulate our digestion, to play a role in micronutrient deficiency or optimal micronutrient status. The gut also plays a role in immune and autoimmune pathology and then favorable immune function that could also extend to things like cancer, right, how the immune system detects invaders. And then the gut plays that big role in that neurological and mood stability and cognitive function connecting that enteric
2: nervous system. Okay, awesome. So the gut does a lot of things. And like you said, this is really foundational that we address gut integrity so that we can see all of those awesome downstream effects, right? Um, So let's talk about what leaky gut is, um, I know this is something we throw around a lot in functional medicine and, and we're probably hearing on lots of podcasts and a very buzzworthy term. Uh, but what exactly is leaky gut and how does it happen? So, leaky gut, the
1: medical term is intestinal permeability. And what essentially happens is that the gut lining has these tiny finger like projections called the microvilli. Okay. And on every, uh, the microvilli basically are, are like scooting food particles down the gut lining. Okay. And there's junctions that maintain the connections of the villi to ward away or defend against uh, toxins, defend against um, large particles getting into the bloodstream. And so the junctions are what play a role with a healthy gut integrity, healthy, tight junctions, and tight, healthy microvilli. And the epithelial lining is the thin tissue that lines our villi. And this can get damaged by abrasion. And I'll sidebar. We'll get, go into what can cause leaky gut, I guess, down, down the line in a moment. But when the, the epithelial lining gets damaged, that starts to cause dysplasia or irregular cell formation. And then also, so there can be damage to the thin lining that coat the villi. There can also be damage to the junctions that maintain the connectivity of the villi, keeping the fingers nice and tight. I usually do this visual where I, I take my two palms together and I place my fingers uh, between one another, and then you know you can space them out further, and that would be a good demonstration. Or close, like your middle two fingers or a couple fingers within, and that would be a demonstration of what leaky gut would kind of look like in theory—the larger spaces between the villi. And what occurs in the instance of leaky gut is particles that don't belong in the bloodstream protein molecules get into the bloodstream and the immune system gets overburdened by these compounds and starts to drive inflammatory attack. So the body essentially creates an immunological mediated inflammatory response to the excess compounds in the bloodstream and the excess compounds get in there because of the quote-unquote leaky gut, the lack of the integrity of the tight junctions and the damage to the tissues. So we do see in research studies that a lot of autoimmune diseases, again, even seemingly completely separate from the gut, like Hashimoto's thyroiditis. We're learning a lot of huge connections with the consumption of gluten and uh, the gluten compound mimicking the thyroid, but this being exacerbated in individuals that have leaky gut because that particle at a larger size is getting into that gut blood barrier and then mimicking and interfering with thyroid. So once those molecules get into our bloodstream at higher amounts than desired, different downstream impacts can occur, and they can be immunological, they can be inflammatory, or it can be like a mimicking response, like within the thyroid and gluten connection, and that can just interfere with our hormone health overall.
2: Okay. And then as you mentioned, nutrient malabsorption, this can be a driver of so many things downstream from immune to neurological and beyond. But for those who are um, kind of still wondering how to avoid leaky gut or um, why this happens in the first place, what are some of those primary drivers of leaky gut? You mentioned gluten as kind of one big culprit, but what else can actually cause leaky gut in the first place?
1: Yeah. So I would, I would break it down to basically foods, infections, and toxins. And so of the foods, I would definitely demonize the five pro-inflammatory foods that I pull out from the anti-anxiety diet as also the top five drivers of leaky gut. So we'd be looking at gluten as I think bar none, the number one. And it's because gluten specifically can interfere with basically the the barrier that maintains that junction integrity. Uh, it it plays a role with zonulin, which is a protein that can break apart the junctions. Basically, it like takes the the bodyguard or the bouncer of the club off of their uh, you know puts them on break or whatever, it takes them off of their what's the word I'm looking for post their job? duty yeah their post <laughs> <laughs> sure. Their shift, I think, sure. is what I was trying to yeah, say. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, gluten basically disarms the guard uh, by releasing zonulin, and so that's going to play a role with the junction, and that means that whatever's consumed around that time. And especially in the intestines at that time, often gluten is paired with its friend sugar, like you think of, you know, like pastries, even pizzas and things like that. A lot of times there's other irritants consumed at that meal and it'd be even more insulting because the gluten is allowing like a super highway, open, no guarded approach. And we're going to be higher susceptible to the inflammation at that time of consumption. There's other pro-inflammatory foods based on, of course, their structure of fatty acids, like we we bring corn and soy as irritants, of course, in the anti-anxiety diet because of the omega-6 and also because of the glyphosate. And we do know that certain impact uh, of our neurotoxin from the Roundup chemical that can be applied can be neurological influential, but also can be gut damaging both to the microbiome as well as potentially to the gut integrity itself, the tissue itself. And there's other forms of genetics, uh, GMOs, like the BT ready corn, which specifically is made to be an endotoxin. Um, that's the type of the genetically modified corn that actually explodes the intestines of, of the pests that are consuming the, the corn. So a lot of GMOs are set to either have higher chemical residue, which is going to drive toxins to damage the gut, or the GMO itself might even be destructive to the gut. So that would be a big thing in general, and that'd be why corn and soy are definitely on the top of the list. And you could even extend that Further to all grains and legumes and even high lectin containing vegetables based on the level of inflammation as as a starting point of that gut. And that's kind of the argument behind a paleo diet or, you know, now Dr. Gundry's diet of the plant paradox. It's this idea that grains and legumes being the highest with with gluten-containing grains being highest of these pro-inflammatory anti-nutrients in plants that can degrade or wear and tear at the gut lining. And as we talked about in that episode in the defense of plants, you know, this lectin influence on the body is very relative to the base of that gut. And so if someone is dealing with severe leaky gut, they likely do have to go on a 100% lectin free diet to cool the house before they can rebuild the tissue, whereas someone else might thrive just removing the grains. And, you know, that's really going to be based on, we'll talk about some biomarkers today to determine severity um, and also levels of reactivity. But those would be the big uh, pro-inflammatory foods, gluten, corn, soy, potentially all grains and legumes. And then I would add in sugar because sugar, of course, is going to be a driver of dysbiosis. And when we have imbalanced gut bacteria, including candida, Uh, This can then set up camp along the junctions of the gut and interfere with the the tight lining. And so that can create distress in the uh, gut based on the microbiome or the bacteria imbalance driving
2: leaky gut. And then I would add excessive alcohol consumption for sure to that list, Um, certainly for that reason of candida overgrowth as well, especially with beer and, and wine and the potential for gut sterilizing impact of alcohol as well
1: absolutely yeah sterility factor and then it just being somewhat abrasive sure. for sure so that's that's definitely one to watch for and to kind of close out the food piece of this it's important to understand that again i mentioned that there's these immune mediated inflammatory responses and so if based on these other lifestyle factors of influence on leaky gut you may be responding to a otherwise Non inflammatory food and having severe inflammation based on your surveillance system, your unique immune system tagging that compound as a foreign invader. So, you know, someone that goes back to my like, someone's superfood can be someone else's kryptonite. And that's why, as we talk about testing, when we're looking at leaky gut, we really want to look at what's driving inflammation in your body as one of the root cause factors. And, And so that whole concept of this unique immunological inflammatory response opens the world of literally anything consumed. And this is where we've seen people having a leaky gut flare from coconut or pork or spinach or lettuce and really anything under the sun.
2: Yes, and we'll talk more about the MRT in a little bit um, if that piqued your interest. Um, but let's talk a little more about other drivers beyond foods that could be causing leaky gut. I know stress is a big one that you get into in the anti-anxiety diet.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's something that I taught myself uh, e- even deeper down the rabbit hole by writing the anti-anxiety mm-hmm. diet. I mean, I think we all—I I, I learned with my functional medicine background. About the gut associated lymphatic tissue. And I learned about gut integrity and leaky gut. And I did learn about, we always called probiotics nature's Prozac and this connection of, you know, the microbiome producing our feel good neurotransmitters. But, and and then I always knew that there is a neurological response. Like, right, we always say, like, I have butterflies in my stomach when I'm stressed, or some people get high peristalsis, like really uh, significant fast involuntary pumping where they might have like diarrhea or loose stool before public speaking or a job interview or a first date. And then on the other end of the spectrum, some people get that slow delayed neurological where they deal with like a paralysis, like constipation under times of stress. So I knew that there was this neurofeedback and I knew the enteric nervous system existed But I think the depths of which I go into in that gut brain access episode is really awesome. And some of the two players that I learned about having a role of impact were secretory IGA and LPS. And I knew of these as markers for leaky gut, but secretory IGA will actually respond to mental and emotional stress. We can measure our secretory IGA with our saliva. And we can also measure that in the stool. And what's really interesting is that it tends to be expressed in high amounts during a a peak of stress, like let's say a divorce or a transition at work where you're just on and you're running through the midnight oil and you're not sleeping amply and you're just go, 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 burn, 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 you're going to see, generally speaking, secretory IgA elevated. And that's the same response that would go on in the body if the gut was battling a pathogen. It's going to upregulate this mucosal membrane. That's what secretory IgA is. It's a marker of your mucosal membrane, which essentially is like the coating or the lining of your gut, okay? And so if you had dysbiosis or a flare or a pathogen in your body, secretory IgA is going to go up and your your mucosal membrane goes into overdrive mode trying to like, you know, protect itself against this foreign invader. Well, over time, just like anything in the human body, things tend to burn out. And so what we see often when we're looking at stool or um, in the saliva, when we're looking at a panel of someone with like adrenal fatigue, um, is often that their secretory IgA will get pooped or plummeted. And, um, this can happen also after severe dysbiosis. So there's a very tight chicken and egg relationship to our mental stress, as well as our bacterial physiological stress. And it gets even deeper. Make sure I don't lose people (laughs) back. I'm going to go a little deeper. (laughs) You can pull me back. Um, but it gets even deeper to say that when we have a pathogen or you know our body's increasing that secretory iga to battle something we're also manufacturing more epinephrine or adrenaline right and that perpetuates the mental emotional stress response and the body does that immunologically because it's in fight or flight mode it's battling a pathogen you know and then in the same sense independently, our epinephrine or adrenaline can go up just from being mentally stressed. And so there's definitely a connection of adrenaline and epinephrine with secretory IgA, and those can be directly influenced by bacteria or by mental-emotional stress, and it can be very perpetuating because, like I said, the bacteria can drive up the adrenaline, and then the adrenaline can drive the anxiety, and then the anxiety can perpetuate the secretory IgA. And connected further to bacteria, if we're under chronic stress, we sterilize our microbiome. So now we don't have the feel-good landing gear of our serotonin and our GABA because we've sterilized the feel-good, and that only perpetuates this cycle of burnout. Okay. So
2: all in all, it kind of makes sense. Um, Total vicious cycle though, for sure. And and that's something I know I see day in, day out with clients dealing with dysbiosis is that increased anxiety is usually um, kind of part of what led us down the rabbit hole of doing the stool testing in the first place, right?
1: Oh, totally. And you know, I, I think that that's where I'm such a fan of the probiotic challenge as a first line of defense for intervention, because I can't tell you how many of those people preemptively do a cleanse or just start taking some of these formulas that are somewhat abrasive, um, you know, whether it's a, a strong dose of you know, biocidin or whatnot formula fill in the blank. Um, And they're only further perpetuating the sterility. And now they're adding in abrasive compounds that are perpetuating the leaky gut. And they may have been dealing with bloating and distension from a swollen, inflamed gut, not a pathogen. So they're trying to kill something and they're actually adding insult to injury by further damaging their already damaged gut in the first place. And that's where if you had done a probiotic challenge in the first place, likely what you would see is that that probiotic was welcomed in the increased dosage or there was neutral, no change. And so we wouldn't go down the wrong turn of adding other abrasive battling agents to kill something off that doesn't exist.
2: Sure. That totally makes sense. And I'll make sure I link to our probiotic challenge in the show notes. But essentially what you're doing is picking up a Good quality um, 15 billion or so culture blend of lacto and bifidobacteria like our Restore baseline probiotic. And we're having you take measurements at rise and rest as a baseline, first with no probiotic intervention, and then slowly increasing that dosage in about three-day increments and keeping notes of that um, circumference at rise and rest along with any other symptoms um, like constipation or loose stools or bloating or if things tend to improve with the increased probiotic. And that can be a really good cost-effective way to evaluate the state of your gut versus going, like Ali said, down the abrasive route and expensive route of a cleanse um, or down the route of a stool test, which is even more expensive.
1: Absolutely. And again, it's the idea of jumping into what your body needs versus attacking. And I think it goes back to this balance of what I've also been obsessed with talking about recently of this like allostatic load or like choosing our stressors. And I think it's this like American, I know we have international listeners also, which is awesome, but I I tended to put this as a fault of like American culture of more is more, not less is more. <laughs> and so it's like, well, something must be wrong. I might need, I must need to do something to get rid of it versus, oh, my, my digestion might be off or I might be dealing with bloating because my body's sterilized and it needs to rebound versus it needs to be battled.
2: Yep. Yep. And oftentimes I have these individuals who go harder, cleanse harder, do three runs of cleanse. And it's like, if we had just done a test, you would have been sterile the first time around. Yeah, yeah for um, sure. So
1: yeah. And and then in the in the mindset also that during during a cleanse and and not to say that clen- cleanses are extremely effective. I know Becky, you just finished or are on the cusp of finishing a recent one. I think I'm done. And I use them. In, <laughs> you're done. I use them in clinic all the time. I do a gut cleanse probably every eighteen months or something like that, um, just to kind of reset and plow the, the microbiome and manage all that goodness. But I'm just saying that we want to use uh, information and some form of data before we take that plunge to make sure that we're doing the right step forward.
2: Sure. And then beyond bacterial yeast Pathogenic overgrowth, stress. stress, all the things. <laughs> I was supposed to
1: be stressed yeah, off. That was yeah. stressed,
2: but we got into pathogens, and that's okay because that can be for sure a, a driver of leaky yeah. gut. Um, what about um, other environmental influences? We mentioned the um, influence of GMOs for sure, but what about environmental toxicity?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's so many additives in our environment uh, that are volatile and can be damaging to the gut lining, it, things that we're inhaling, things that we're consuming. You know, we know that there's 10,000 plus chemicals in the American food system, many of which are banned in other countries. And even things like, uh, I can never say it right, carrageen or carrageen, carrageenan carrageen. Yeah carrageenan you know which is derived from seaweed has been shown to have impact on gut abrasion so always good, better, best, stick to single ingredients, always going to be the best. And then, you know, in their most whole food forms and work with reducing the anti-nutrients by like soaking and sprouting your nuts and so forth. But toxins in chemical form can be quite abrasive and that also opens up the world of medications. And so medications would be watching out for, of course, antibiotics, which are going to drive that impact, like we were talking about with stress of sterilizing the biome and then creating distress to the gut integrity. And then there's actual medications that we'll note as side effects can cause GI bleeding. Um, Ones to mention for sure are all of the NSAIDs. Um, and NSAIDs, as another thing I say very often, and I've had people just last week being like, okay, so what does that mean again? I'm like, damn it, I'm making an assumption. <laughs> so NSAIDs uh, include, it stands for non steroidal anti inflammatory drug. Uh, and these include your Aleve, your Advil, naproxen sodium. So there's, you know, generic and name brand forms of these non uh, steroidal anti inflammatories that a lot of people take like candy, you know, for something from a headache to joint pain to just a- avoiding a hangover. I don't know, you know, but but we take these very regularly and they definitely hit the gut integrity. And so for individuals that have known gastric disorders, their gastroenterologist doesn't allow them to take these drugs. For, they have to find other mechanisms of pain medications. So definitely avoid Advil, Aleve, Naproxen, all of those drugs And so much better to work with an anti-inflammatory that supports your body, like super turmeric, of course. Um, And then other medications to list would be our Tums and our proton pump inhibitors, uh, medications that interfere with our stomach acid, right? So other things that we take very commonly as a digestive aid can be interfering with the way that food particles break down and then making them more abrasive. And then even birth control can play a significant role with gut integrity as well as the microbiota
2: Yes. And we have a great episode that just came out. It was 135. 135? 136. Um, 135 that just came out on um, the downstream impact of pharmaceuticals. 136. Drugs. 136. Thank you. Because today's 137. <laughs> um, on downstream impact of pharmaceutical drugs and just getting into the tip of the iceberg of some of the nutrients they can deplete. Um, and we talked also about birth control back in episode 106 and 107, but that's definitely one that um, is coming to light with more and more cases of actual studies of, you know increasing uh, birth control use, increasing incidence of ulcerative colitis, for example. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Okay. So a lot of different risk factors. And now that we've scared people, right? um, (laughs) Many of us may be impacted by, you know, two or three of these at once, whether it's an inflammatory food influence or stress, or maybe a medication that we've been taking for a while. Um, But if we're concerned that this may be us, what would you say are the primary assessment markers? Like, can I go and get a test to see if I have leaky gut?
1: So, yes, you can. Uh, Like I mentioned, you can track secretory IGA as a salivary assessment or a stool. You can also do, I think, the most popular, quote-unquote, leaky gut panel on the market right now is the Cyrex Array. The Cyrex Array 2 panel. And uh, that's going to look at uh, different markers like zonulin, actomyosin, and lipopolysaccharide. Um, And so it's going to look at the different immune taggings of these compounds. And LPS or lipopolysaccharides also tend to respond comparable to secretory IgA, where they increase with stress and anxiety, they increase with presence of pathogen and then they reduce when the gut is dealing with the impact of leaky gut or damaged gut lining. And there has been some really interesting studies on LPS specifically, even tying to like social anxiety, seeing that LPS goes up when you're in a room of new people. Uh, and LPS literally drills little tiny micro holes in your gut lining. Um, it's a pretty interesting connection back there. But yes, the Cyrex array 2, you can look at actomycin, zonulin and LPS, and then the different immunological tagging within zonulin and LPS.
2: Okay. And then the MRT test would be another place to consider going if we are dealing with significant leaky gut. Um, I guess MRT in itself, it's not diagnostic per se, but if you had a high incidence of yellows and reds, Allie and I use that in clinic and those would be reactive foods that show up. Um, We use that in clinic to be pretty pretty well diagnostic. Like there's something going on if we're, if we're getting, you know, three plus reds, et cetera, on that MRT.
1: Oh yeah. I I always say my philosophy is rather than looking at a marker of the barrier or looking at a marker of, you know, the, the muscle tissue composition of the gut or this inflammatory attack marker in the gut and just seeing it there, what's going to be your intervention? You know, generally speaking, if I saw someone come to me with the Cyrex panel, I'm going to recommend they run the, the MRT test, excuse me. I'm going to recommend they run the MRT test so we can strategically remove the foods that are causing the most inflammatory damage so we can put out the fire in the body as rapidly as possible. So if you're a data nerd and cost isn't an issue, you might want to run these panels to get a base read. And see how things change. Like I, I actually like to monitor secretory IGA. I find that to be the one that is uh, longest standing in the medical literature and uh, most influential when we're looking at gut integrity and and um, enteropathy or damage to the gut lining. So, uh, you know, you can get a base, like I I'll, I'll, I love to see, for instance, secretory IgA goes from a, a range of, I believe, 50 to 200, right? So I, I like to see someone enter in where maybe their secretory IgA was 12 and then following their six-month MRT protocol and use of different supplement support to repair the gut lining, getting their value up into 70s and then you know doing the the whole protocol again and getting up into the 120s and watching and maintaining that. So it can be helpful to yes use these markers to diagnose or to track progress, but at the end of the day you're going to want to run the MRT test to drive the intervention because that's how you're going to put out the fire or the inflammation associated with the leaky gut, that's going to drive your elimination diet. And like Becky said, yes, when I see two or more reds, that to me is clinically relevant enough to state this individual has intestinal enteropathy that is somewhat concerning. And yes, I would diagnose as leaky gut because their immune system and their inflammatory processes are reacting high to the compounds in their bloodstream and they're getting in their bloodstream in higher amounts because of that gut damage.
2: Okay. So again, this is one of those instances where it's like, okay, if we're dealing with these symptoms, maybe we don't waste the time or money with, you know, digging into another expensive lab panel, like the Cyrex panel. And we just go for the MRT instead, because again, like you said, it's intervention based. We can see the data on what foods are driving an inflammatory response in an individual's body. And by pulling those out, we start to be able to actually chip away at um, the damage done and and start to repair the gut.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, with any of the gut uh, lining markers, we're going to talk in a moment about, you know, things that you can add to like, right, coat and protect and aid with tissue repair, right? So you could, again, also preemptively do that without those base markers if that was a priority to see if that's enough to get you back on track. So whenever I'm collecting data, whether it's for myself or for a patient and kind of my clinician decisions on what panels I order for patients are always, is the information, when I receive the information from this patient, going to change this story? Is it going to change how we address things? And is it going to change the clinical outcomes and clinical interventions to get those outcomes? If it isn't, then it's just information.
2: Sure. I think that's, that's a great way to put it. And, and yeah, we'll talk in a moment about other interventions, but just assuming, you know, unless you live in a bubble, probably at some point you're dealing with (laughs) some level of leaky gut and and some of these interventions would certainly be appropriate. But before we get there and get to talking about what you can do about all of this, let's have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, F-bomb.
1: Yes. So we are super excited to have F-Bomb on as the sponsor of episode 137. And F-Bomb came to my attention about three years ago in the keto space as these delightful, clean nut butter packs. Um, And that's how they started their line with F-Bomb nut butters. And now they've expanded to keto crunch. And there are F-Bomb direct fat oils. They have an awesome MCT oil and an olive oil. And those are things that I carry in my pocket or purse or backpack to ensure that I can have healthy, satiating dining options on the go and not deal with crap industrialized oils. And I love the F-bomb nut butter packs because I can use that almost even in a pure fat fast. Each pack has 20 grams of fat um, and ranges from two to four grams of of carbohydrate and all only coming from the whole foods that are offered within them. For instance, three simple ingredients like raw pecans, roasted macadamia, and salt.
2: Yes. And we love that F-Bomb doesn't delve into at all. In fact, Ross is very adamantly against all of the non-caloric sweeteners, including stevia. So they do, in a few of their products, use a teeny bit of natural cane sugar, and we respect the heck out of them because of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there is a chocolate flavor which uses a dark chocolate bar and that's a natural, of course, well, an occurring ingredient in chocolate, of course. Uh, And yes, what's interesting is, you know, for people that see that word, ah, sugar, and they throw away or don't don't look back, when you compare that to a lot of the products out there that have the word keto stamped on it, a lot of times you're looking at a higher amount of total carbohydrates, and you're looking at a chemical shitstorm and other potential endocrine-disrupting compounds or microbiome-disrupting compounds. And I'm a huge proponent of using whole food single ingredients Ingredients to provide nourishment for our brains, our hormones, reducing inflammation. So, the sourcing and the simplicity in that delivery is extremely important. And that's why I love F-Bomb.
2: Yes, so you can head on over to dropanfbomb.com/AllieMillerRD to see Allie's page on the F-bomb site and read more about why she loves f-bombs. Um, but definitely pick some of these up, and you use the code AllieMillerRD as well. Correct for 20% yeah, off. yeah,
1: Allie Miller RD is 20% off. And then when you go to that drop an F-bomb.com backslash Allie Miller RD, you can do all your recurring orders and you get um, 10% off. I think any future order after that first 20% off. So, and if you guys follow me on Instagram, which I'm sure you do, you always see me going to these for Stella. I really feel that F bombs are a fantastic tool to help to prevent toddler meltdown. And really for any child, a great way to stabilize blood sugar levels and give that brain boost with a grounding energy without the spikes and valleys of blood sugar irregulation. regulation. So check it out, dropanfbomb.com backslash Allie Miller RD.
2: Good way to prevent anyone's meltdown. Honestly, I use them for travel all the time. And Byron. It <laughs> doesn't yeah. meltdown, but I might. <laughs> yes, it's true. All it's right. True. Um, so let's get back into it. Let's talk about the main signs and symptoms of leaky gut. So what are we looking at um, that an individual might be experiencing if they are dealing with leaky gut?
1: Yeah, because we said it could be so much beyond digestion, right? So the the main digestive things that you might see first off, I suppose, would be like gas, bloating, loose stool, just irregular bowels or irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, seasonal allergies or asthma can actually be associative um, because there's more circulating histamine response in the body. Uh, we can see hormonal imbalances actually as a symptom of leaky gut because the body isn't able to regulate hormone. The, the colon is the uh, final kind of exit, if you will. And that's where we actually metabolize a lot of our estrogen in the body. So we can see hormone imbalance. We can see autoimmune conditions, really any autoimmune condition because of that gut associated lymphatic tissue, and the fact that when the food particles get into the bloodstream, our immune system goes in overdrive mode. So it's going to attack whatever targeted tissue of that autoimmune pathology. So, whether we're talking about psoriasis and having a skin flare, or lupus and having a systemic chronic fatigue flare, or rheumatoid arthritis and having joint flare, or Hashimoto's thyroiditis and having imbalance with the thyroid hormone, and so much more. We can see diagnosis of overall, like chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. So it can be a combination of both like toxicity in the body, just a generalized yuck. Uh, we can see mood imbalances, depression, anxiety, ADD, ADHD, In fact, uh, Dr. Natasha McBride, who started the GAPS diet, you know, it's all, a a lot of that goes into this premise and that's what GAPS stands for, gut and psychology syndrome, right? So really from ADD to depression, anxiety, and even more severe, like mental um, illness, uh, bipolar disorder and mania can all be tied into leaky gut. So skin issues, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say a lot of symptoms beyond digestion for sure, but yes, yeah,
1: skin, right? Skin. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're really, it seems like the gut might be the last stop, but maybe should be the first, you know? So yeah, skin. Um, so we talked about acne and how that can occur, but also things like rosacea, eczema, I had prior mentioned psoriasis with more of the autoimmune world. Um, and then of course, any microbiome imbalance, and then uh, finally, maybe the most known or or familiar would be food allergies or food intolerances, not tolerating food or having more dynamic responses that are unfavorable to a higher amount of food irritants.
2: Sure. And then if we are dealing with some of these symptoms, how do we start? Like, where do we start with the approach to healing and addressing leaky gut?
1: So this comes back to like the classic functional medicine approach. And, um, it's called the three R, um, and some people add a fourth yeah, R in four or five uh, now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, and, and then there's the six R's of my anti-anxiety uh-huh. Uh-huh. diet. There's a lot of R's out there, a bunch of pirates running around. Ha ha! Oh, wait, wait for it. <laughs> no. Okay. Did you get my joke? No. A bunch of R's. A bunch of R's. Okay. Anyway. No. Oh,
2: I was like, do do it. okay, I'll do it again. The, I get it.
1: A bunch <laughs> of pirates running around. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: anyway, one day we'll get you controls on these, and then the podcast. Yeah, I don't have really any go any sound effects. um
1: Next level. Next level. Or it Um So. Shit, <laughs> So it stands for remove, restore, repair. That's the most classic 3R approach. So you're removing the irritant. What's driving the inflammation or the damage to the gut in the first place, right? Then you're restoring optimal digestion. And some people take a turn here and add another R, re-inoculate, re-inoculating the gut biome and then repairing the gut lining so restore could also include probiotics potentially based on your your scope and however you draw the picture but in that first r remove is is very essential because you can work the repair process but like i said earlier if you're not putting the if you're not pulling the lighter fluid out from what's burning the house down and you're just throwing buckets of water you're not going to get very far so when we're removing the irritant we most definitely could remove those medications that were drivers, right? We could remove toxins through our 10-day real food detox, which is something we recommend quarterly anyway to really just work the system and reduce any buildup from living in an industrialized society. Uh, We could remove pathogens, if we know we have a pathogen or we know we have candida overgrowth, we've gotten a positive in the candida quiz or we've failed the probiotic challenge, right? Then we might need to do remove in the process of a cleanse, like the beat the bloat cleanse and following that six to 10-week to program. And then, of course, the other R would be diet-mediated removal, which would be generally recommended to be driven with the MRT test. So we're looking at reducing inflammation with a tailored elimination diet. And you know, this is where we're looking at 170 foods and chemicals and it is in response to your blood. What they do is they draw the blood, they induce the 170 foods and chemicals to each specimen, 170 specimens, tiny specimens of your blood. And they actually look at the reaction, the level of pro-inflammatory chemicals that your blood puts out in response to that compound. So it is my favorite go-to panel because there is not a lot of false positive. It is usable information. And we use that to basically work as a GPS for the body to reduce the drivers of inflammation. And then we go forward with restoring and
2: repairing. Okay. And that's just the first, <laughs> that's the first start <laughs> Yeah.
1: And, and I think that within the MRT test remove, it would be worth mentioning that that's also where you would consider at that juncture removal of plant-based compounds in general. And that's where keto carnivore would fit, right? So if you know that your secretory IgA is in the tank um, and you know that your mucosal membrane is just totally torn up, then you may start with more of like a six-week keto carnivore reset, which uses copious amounts of bone broth and organs and collagen gelatin um, support uh, because at that state, you'd be able to remove all plant lactins, all oxalates, uh, any you know irritant per se, as well as fiber to really allow the gut to just go into amino acid and nutrient density recovery of tissue from the less irritating protein particles.
2: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's a really good place for that to fit like within an MRT protocol already. So you can see what, um, maybe your best protein sources are. Um, although certainly could be something that you do, um, you know, if we're not able to afford or not able to access MRT could be a good starting point as well.
1: That's what I'm kind of thinking, right? Like a six-week keto carnivore could be a good sure. option. But like you acknowledged, Becky, it would be a shame if you do that and you're eating pork during it or beef and that was a big reaction for you. That's obviously going to be pedaling backwards in your process. So there is that unknown. And that's why I think the MRT is the gold standard if possible to work within your budget. Sure. And you know that this is your your Achilles heel, if you will, of your health.
2: Yep. Yep. And then what's the second R? Restore? So.
1: Yeah. So to restore proper digestion, this is where we would most definitely bring in the digestate enzyme. You're going to get comprehensive enzyme blend to break down proteins, carbs, Uh, Also, vegetable fibers. We're going to get ox bile to help with emulsification. We're going to get, you know, lipase to break down lipids, hydrochloric acid to balance out if you were dealing with hypochlorhydria or too low of stomach acidity, um, because that means that you're you're able to by ramping up that HCL and that acidity break down food particles. So you're going to have less again abrasion along the intestinal lining. Um, The better you can deliver the intestines like a slurry, like a smoothie almost, if you will. So digestive enzymes, super important in the restoration, and a good enzyme will have bile and HCL, like our naturally nourished digest aid then you also would restore, yes, nutrient deficiencies. So we think of zinc playing a huge role with wound recovery or ulceration repair. Uh, we think of vitamin C as a very powerful tool here to support for collagen and tissue recovery. And then I think of beyond other, you know, micronutrients based on potential individual results, a good insurance policy of like the... Uh, Multi-avail is always a good thing as far as multi-avail mama or the multi-defense if you're just looking at a base two-day. And probiotics would be the the other element in here, restoring with probiotics. So if you're dealing with gut distress and you're still feeling a little gray and you haven't done the probiotic challenge, hopefully today's episode has nailed that in that that's the first step (laughs) because you want to know if you have to plow the fields or if you just need to regrow the flowers and mellow out and pollinate
2: yeah i think that's a really good takeaway so if you haven't done it do it now <laughs> just do it
1: and then the last r is the repair right so this is where we think of um, the food forms like bone broth, which is going to incorporate both collagen and gelatin. Uh, we also think of consuming those in powdered forms and their varied applications that we get. We talk about all the time. I think Becky and I probably in the last two to three years. Let's see, Stella's three. Probably in the last four years of my life, I don't think I've gone more than a single day without either collagen, gelatin, or bone broth. How about you?
2: <laughs> probably not. I had collagen in my smoothie. Uh, before we started recording and bone broth yesterday. So yeah, I, I think that would be pretty accurate unless I'm traveling and like forgot to bring my collagen sticks, but usually I remember them.
1: Right. And I think that's a space bar for at the end of how you constantly defend against Leaky Gut because we both just do that all the time. Like I literally was slurping bone broth as Becky and I were going through to get ready to record today. Um, So yeah, I mean, those are just kind of a bar none. And then as far as supplement support, another huge player, and, and this is one that I would say, of course, with this episode, probiotic challenge, and then my GI lining support powder. That is something I've been using in clinic for over a decade. And it is why gastroenterologists are always my strongest referral source. I'm telling you, every child and adult that I've worked with with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or any form of inflammatory bowel disease, and they get a follow-up scope report, right, their colonoscopy upper and lower after using my GI lining support Paired with this three R approach, I get a phone call saying, What did you do with my patient? How did you heal their epithelial lining? How is their tissue repaired? It doesn't make any sense. Um, Because you know, they're so used to using steroids to block the inflammation, right? And things like lialda or mesalamine, right? Different forms of anti-inflammatories, but very rarely do they actually see tissue regrowth and repair. And it's all about quality glutamine. Glutamine, L-glutamine actually is a fuel source and a building block for your enterocytes. Enterocyte is the fancy word for gut cells. So L-glutamine is absolutely essential to repair leaky gut. We recommend somewhere between 3.5 to, to 10 grams a day. So each scoop of my GI lining support is 3.5 grams of L-glutamine. And then that's paired with mucilaginous compounds. Ooh, I love today's episode just because I get to say mucilaginous. (laughs) Um, And mucilaginous is a oopy-goopy delivery that both diglycerized licorice root, DGL, and aloe vera provide. And in that process, they slow down the delivery of the glutamine, so it really coats and protects. And both DGL and aloe have been shown independently to support reduction of inflammation on a tissue level. Think of enter sunburn, right? And aloe gel, how cooling that is directly on the tissue. And uh, DGL has been shown to uh, repair ulcerations um, or actual damage to the tissue level.
2: Awesome. And then uh, along that line of the 3R approach, we actually just introduced a new bundle. Is it the Digestive Basics Bundle? We named all of these, you guys. Maybe. And we can't even remember the names of all the new ones. I'll make sure they I link to it. I believe it's the Digestive basic digestive basics bundle that includes the um uh includes the restore baseline probiotics so that you can either just start on a probiotic or do the probiotic challenge. It includes digest aid for that um rest- restoration of digestive enzymes and then it includes the GI lining um for all of the reasons that Ali just mentioned in terms of actually healing and kind of sealing the gut. So That bundle um, was just introduced to kind of pair along with our MRT protocol, but it's something that you could do regardless of whether you're doing the MRT or not. And a really good starting point um, versus maybe the the gut rehab bundle, which we have so many bundles, it's hard to keep track, but we're just trying to offer you guys savings. Um, The gut rehab bundle, which would be more appropriate for um, colitis or, or Crohn's or known inflammatory bowel disease.
1: Right. So the gut rehab bundle has the targeted strength probiotic, which is going to be 60 billion. Of the colony forming units versus 15 billion in the Restore baseline probiotic. They are the same formulation, it's just that targeted strength is four times the potency. So, generally speaking, like you said, yes, with inflammatory bowel disease, we put you at the highest targeted strength right away versus that 15 billion, which some of you with just some GI distress might do just fine with but you'll learn from the probiotic challenge. Maybe you need to refill with the targeted strength. And then the gut rehab bundle includes super turmeric as more of a aggressive anti-inflammatory. We use the super turmeric in weaning protocol off of prednisone and, and different um, uh, steroids and anti-inflammatory. So super turmeric is that big, strong anti-inflammatory, and then they have the overlap of the GI lining support powder. But I totally agree, Becky, the digestive basics is going to hit reducing the particle size, right? And restoring optimal uh, enzyme function, as well as restoring the probacteria and then repairing the tissues. That's probably the best entry point and best value.
2: Sure. And then um, when we are talking about working with these repair compounds, just to get back to our, was it? I already forgot her name, Kim's question um, of like, is this something we're always going to have to deal with or how long can we expect a gut restoration protocol to actually take before we start seeing results?
1: Yeah. So it does matter, Kim, based on the level of damage you're entering at, right? As well as, so if someone, for instance, if we're looking at like MRT results and someone has two to three reds, my goal is that at nine to 12 months, when I retest them, they should have zero reds and significantly less yellows. Reds are a severe reaction. Yellows are moderate, right? If someone enters at nine to 13 reds, my goal is that they slash that to a quarter of that amount, right? So they're going to have two to four reds in a year of retest. So where is your entry point? How inflamed are you in the beginning? And generally speaking, I say a minimum time of about six months to a year to really get the gut back on track. And then as far as do you always have leaky gut? No, you could truly go from 13 reds, and I've seen it in clinical experience, and I've also seen with individuals, like I said, with just horrific colonoscopy entry points, um, you know, diagnosis of when they have their calprotectin levels at 467 or plus, and we get their calprotectin, that's a marker of inflammatory bowel disease, we get their calprotectin level at 12, you know. Um, And so it's definitely possible to drive full-blown remission of both inflammatory bowel disease and leaky gut using this 3R approach with targeted supplement support. But I will say that the GI lining support is one of those kind of non-negotiables that is integral to successful outcomes. And then the other factor is what does the diet look like? What does the stress look like? And all of those other contributing factors, right? So If you're following an MRT protocol or you did a keto carnivore reset, you've reduced that inflammation. During that time, you aggressively doubled down or tripled down on your gut repair, um, and then you brought in more enzymes as you liberalized the diet and kept working harmoniously forward. You should be in good shape. But be mindful every time you drink alcohol, you may want to take an extra scoop of GI lining powder. Or every time you have to do a public speech or have a conversation with your child's husband or, excuse me, your child's um, father that you're divorced with and that causes stress to you, then you take an extra scoop of GI lining powder, right? So if you know you're under higher stress or you keep that in at a higher level during the times and the periods of high stress demand so that you aren't wearing away at that gut lining.
2: Sure. So kind of maintaining Some amount of a a maintenance dose and then a pulsed up dose as needed of all of those gut supporting compounds. Um, And we now have a gut rehab page, speaking of new things that we've (laughs) named and forgotten what the names are, but this is called um, the gut rehab page um, where you can find all of the information that we're talking about in today's show notes. Um, This is within the new start here pages that we recently developed on AllieMillerRD.com. And this is intended as a really good jumping off point for anyone who's kind of, you know, towing the line of, do I become a client? Do I run this lab? Should I start these supplements? You can go through um, these quizzes that we developed and check various points of entry or or points of symptoms in your body and discover kind of which entry point is most poignant. And within the gut rehab uh, page, we go through um, the different lab interventions. I know we have the probiotic challenge on there. We have the supplements and supplement bundles on there. So as just like a landing page for everything we've talked about today, that's a really good place to get started.
1: Totally. And it also has the webinar, uh, the three R's of gut restoration. If that's intriguing to you, or you're a practitioner and you want more nerdy information, that's a pre recorded webinar. I think it's like $19 or something. It's great value and um, has a lot of that functional medicine approach to that remove, restore, repair. And then, like Becky said, yeah, all of the Start Here pages are going to walk you through the process of programs that are available or uh, products. Then it'll walk you into advanced labs, supplements, supplement bundles, top podcast episodes on the topic, blogs, and it's just super dense and supportive to get your journey started.
2: Awesome. So I'll make sure I linked that in the show notes as well. Um, let's just address this because I think this is important and and I've heard you say, it. I think a, a recent, um, there's a recent conference that you were up on stage doing this, like, and you have leaky gut and you have leaky gut and you have <laughs> leaky gut. It was hilarious. Um, and just talking about kind of the, the where diagnosis can go wrong or the pitfalls of kind of blanket treating for leaky gut, especially within the functional medicine realm. Because a lot of practitioners, um, I think what you said is you learn like one module on leaky gut and then all of a sudden everything <laughs> looks like leaky gut to you, right?
1: Yeah, totally. And I see this all too often. And I think that's kind of like where I addressed in the other way earlier in today's episode about doing a cleanse, right? I think that cleanses are maybe the new – and not detox when I say cleanse. I'm talking like gut cleanse, like SIBO uh, dysbiosis and candida, I think maybe the new leaky gut. I don't know. I mean, they all kind of take their turns and they all pulse Mm -hmm. (laughs) in, in popularity, I suppose. But, uh, so like I was saying earlier, where if you just jump into a cleanse and are taking these abrasive compounds to kill something off that doesn't exist, that's not going to help your body. Right. And the other hand, if you are treating leaky gut and it's actually adrenal fatigue, right? Like, let's say that your secretory IgA is actually super high. um, And let's say that you're putting out too much of these excitatory compounds. Well, then maybe that's not a time to be hitting heavy with L-glutamine, which, you know, glutamate can be somewhat excitatory for brain chemistry. You might be better off working more with something like the calming clear and bringing down your cortisol levels with phosphatidylserine and supporting your neurotransmitters with B vitamins and getting a blend of nervines and adaptogens, and most definitely not restricting the diet (laughs) to a really tight, um, I guess, like white knuckle grip, either of keto carnivore or an MRT protocol, because that might be the stressor that broke the camel's back, right? So we have to kind of think of it in that sense. If if you can have leaky gut secondary to adrenal fatigue, um, but again, if adrenal fatigue and mental health isn't grounded, we might need to start with some of those layers. Otherwise, we're just going to keep stabbing and drilling those holes in the gut as we're trying to clean it up. And sometimes layering that gut repair, especially with a restrictive diet in a high stressed mental stress environment, might not work beneficial. We might need to instead actually release the the stress response and liberalize the diet and work on tonifying the output of the stress chemicals in the body
2: first before reducing the inflammatory foods. Sure. So can't do it all at once, you guys. And I think that's like a pitfall of a lot of podcast listeners is I always hear, oh, I, I heard it on your podcast. So I started literally every supplement in the line and it's like, well you probably get right. some good well, outcomes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I hope the podcast, because I am only limited to seeing so many sure. people in clinic at once, I, I do want you to listen and take things and purchase. Of course, that's why I create the bundles is for a direct solution to these problems. And like we said earlier, all of the naturally nourished supplement bundles are 18% off. And so it creates this... Access for you guys to have quality formulas that are pharmaceutical grade at an awesome price point, and and have some information on the why, and you know vote with your dollar, giving back to the show, and what have you, um, and and it does yield a lot of outcomes, but definitely think through the process and and um, wrap your mind around it and do some of these preliminary steps like the probiotic quiz, right? Um, think through where to invest your dollars on lab access. And that's why I also give you guys lab access online um, to dig a little deeper into the why maybe before you jump into some of the what's. Sure.
2: And yeah, that start here page again is a really good comprehensive starting place of, of kind of going through different areas of body and maybe something else comes up is a higher priority than leaky gut, or maybe that's definitely your starting point. Um, but start there because it's called start here. So, I mean, absolutely. <laughs>
1: Cool. And I think we hit everything. So, Kim, yeah, Kim finally asked when you fix it, have you fixed it for a long time or will one slip up damage it again? And I think that comes back to what we were just saying. You know, be mindful of the driver and the level of your severity. So, if you're eating a food like gluten, that's probably going to be more disruptive to leaky gut than another carb, let's say, right? If you're someone that follows a ketogenic diet, you might want to be selective in your carb cycling if you choose to do so. And you need to just layer on the other influencing factors of, like I said, if sleep is off and stress is up, that's a time to give your gut some loving. And what we didn't mention in today's episode, but we mentioned I feel like all the time also is our bone broth fast, which we'll put that in the notes too. It kind of goes along the same lines. Um, We tend to recommend doing like a three to five day bone broth fast after a time of really high stress or eating out or excessive alcohol consumption like bachelorette weekend is how I think of a classic return to a three-day bone broth fast. And uh, it can be a great way to really focus on that gut repair and rest your digestive tract after a lot of distress. And that can work really beautifully as well. And then just pulsing up that GI lining support, maybe instead of your, your base now, since you've healed your gut is about three times a week, Maybe on a severe day, you pulse that up to three times a day and just being proactive and being mindful of the drivers and trying to mitigate their their downstream effects is going to be the best way that you can maintain healthy gut integrity and maintain remission from any status of leaky gut from your past.
2: Awesome. Well, I hope today's episode answered all your questions and more, Kim. And for all of those of you out there um, who had questions about leaky hopefully we hit them all. Um, if you loved this episode, hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences of why you love the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next be, time.
1: Sh- yeah. Be sure to keep sharing on Instagram because look, we listen to you. You could be a star in a future episode. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks guys.